morning and welcome to Christian Life Church. Whether you're a longtime member or joining us for the first time, our mission is to create environments where people encounter God, resulting in purpose-filled lives based on a biblical worldview. If you're watching on your phone, mobile device, or gathered with your family around the TV, we invite you for the next few minutes to join us as we worship God, pray together, and hear what His Word is speaking to us today. Our prayer is you will encounter the God of the Bible who gives strength, encouragement, and comfort. Thank you, Justin. Good morning. It's great to see you. Boy, our crowd just keeps getting bigger. Um, and we are so excited about that. Those that are feeling like it's time for them to come back, we welcome you. Um, I realize that we're still operating on the A through whatever and then whatever through Z. Um, but maybe that won't be much longer. We also welcome folks in the Brown Chapel. And we welcome those of you that are watching online uh, through our live stream capabilities here. We are realizing, as we've said, these are unusual times, but the Lord is Lord over all. He's helping us and we're continuing to move uh, forward. I believe the mission of the church is continuing to be fulfilled and um, the, the people of God loving each other is phenomenal. I want to begin a, a, a three-part series of messages today uh, called The Normal Christian Life. Now, we can't cover everything about the normal Christian life on three Sundays, but let me explain it to you this way. Um, General Alfred Gray, who was the 29th Commandant of the United States Marine Corps, said something that I thought was uh, really, really insightful. He said, every Marine is a rifleman. You say, am I supposed to shout over that or, you know, what does that mean? Well, I thought it was interesting because when I checked, uh, there are around 40 uh, designations of this is your job or this is your, quote, department. There's roughly 40 things that a Marine may do, but every Marine is a qualified rifleman. And that helped me understand a lot of things that I had wondered about in the past, not, not, not great mysteries, just curious. In other words, he was saying, no matter what a Marine may do as his or her occupation, there's one skill every one of them has, and that's of a rifleman. It's that way with Christianity. We have a tendency, especially us Pentecostals, we have a tendency to think in terms of, well, well I'm identified by my spiritual gift. And we know from Scripture that every one of us has a unique shape spiritually, we have a unique profile. Not all of us are called to preach or not all of us are called for this ministry or that ministry. Not only are there ministry designations that differ from person to person, but there are also things called spiritual gifts. And depending on how you count the list, there are about 14 things that are considered a spiritual gift. And many of them are plural, so they may be more. For instance, the gift of healings is a plural thing. And I think what that tells us is that there is a gift of healing that may work this way in this person, this way in that person. But there are also some things that every Christian is called to. Some things, according to Paul, as he wrote to the Corinthians, are designated by the Holy Spirit into every life, but there are some things that are the purview and, and the groundwork of every child of God. Now that I've told you where we're going, we're going to take just a moment and pray the Lord's Prayer. And um, as is our custom, as we get started today, and I also need to make an announcement. We do our best to get everything, um, you know, on the, on the program beforehand and, and on the little commercial that we do. But we've told you that we're in a time right now where things are fluid and things are changed. We, we have announced that beginning this Wednesday night, we would restart childcare in the nursery 
and in Rangers and Impact Girls. And we had every intention of doing that. And let me give you the good side of it. We are re, uh, going to restart the nursery care for children on Wednesday nights, this Wednesday. The, the bad news, well, it's not really bad because we really do believe all things work together for good and God has a plan. But um, we're going to ask you parents to be patient with us just a little bit longer. We, um, in regard to impact girls and in regard to rangers, um, our workers are ready, but what we have discovered is that we just don't quite have enough trained and cleared workers um, to, to make sure that our children are safe and well taught. And so we want to do two things today. Number one, we don't usually do this because we, there's no ministry in the church where we just say, hey, if any of y'all want to help, come on in. But especially with our children, you need to go through membership. You need to have a background check. And I know a lot of people don't like that, but we are very, very serious about the safety of our children. And we are not going to compromise on the safety of our children. And what we found out is a lot of our usual workers are um, struggling with some illness right now, or they are at high risk themselves. Some have just said, Pastor, I'd give anything in the world if I could be there, but I just can't yet. I'm, I'm not really cleared yet physically to come back. We understand that. Or maybe they're just concerned about coming back. It's perfectly understandable. So what we are saying is that we do need some more helpers, especially in impact girls. And if you would like to talk to Pastor Bella about being involved in either Impact Girls or Royal Ranger program, please give her a call at the church office. She can tell you the next step to get you prepared and get you cleared. Um, we're hoping that, uh, hoping that by the 1st of October, we'll be ready to start up with Rangers and Missionettes. We think that'll give us enough time <clears throat> to get the classes fully staffed. We're doing our best and please understand um, whenever we're set back like this, it's only because we want the program to be at its best. And in regard to your children, we will not let your children come into a situation that is not fully safe for them and uh, with qualified workers. So bear with us just a little bit longer. If nothing else works by the 1st of October, we'll let you take all of your kids over to Pastor Corey's house on Wednesday night and he'll just keep them there. I'm kidding. Before y'all start making plans, I'm kidding about that. But God's going to help us. Hey, as we understand what it is that um, is, is incumbent upon all Christians. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Church, you might want to stand with me one more time here and at Brown's Chapel at home. You may be too comfortable to stand, but maybe you just want to raise your hand. Let's begin with the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. And thanks again to Maddox and to Lena and Seth and Jackson for helping us out. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Remember, loved ones, you are missed, you are loved, and you are prayed for every day, especially if you've not been able to make it back. Now, where we went in our introduction a moment ago is that some things are distributed uniquely and at the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. What is distributed to me and what is distributed to Corey, what is distributed to Erna might be different. Because God plays into our strengths, he plays into our personalities, he knows our future, he knows the ministries that we have. And so we have differing gifts according to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. But there are other things, like the Marine Corps' approach to every Marine or rifleman, 
There are some things that ought to be true of every Christian, whether he or she is a pastor, a prophet, an evangelist, uh, you know, a pastor or a teacher or a Sunday school teacher or whatever the call that God put upon our life. It's true of every one of us. I remember that I grew up um, really fighting to be fully surrendered to the Lord. And, um, you know, when you think about it, the word surrendered and fighting don't even go together. But I had such a hunger to be fully surrendered to the Lord so that I could know that I was really pleasing him. I realized that the biggest fight of my Christian faith was to, was to give up. Your biggest fight is to give up. And I realized that there was something I was missing. It took me a long, long time to finally wrap my head around it. And the Lord helped me understand it one time during devotions. And the Lord showed me when I was saying, Lord, I, I've been serving you for decades and I don't feel like I'm fully surrendered. I still fail in some areas. I still have weak spots. Help me to find the secret of being fully surrendered. When will I ever get fully surrendered? And the Lord helped me understand that whenever we submit our lives to him, the submission comes in basically two forms. There are the things that we have successfully submitted to him. It's okay. I've got it. I understand it. You say, well, then the other stuff is not fully submitted, but the Lord helped me see that it is fully submitted. It's fully submitted to his sanctifying work. In other words, I am fully surrendered to the Lord, not when I get perfect, because if that was the case, most of us aren't going to be, well, I'd say all of us are not going to be ready and fully surrendered till we get to heaven. But we can serve the Lord in that the victories that the Lord has helped us to achieve look like full surrender, but my battles are fully surrendered too because I'm not making excuses. I'm not continuing in that lifestyle saying God's grace covers me. I want victory and I've submitted it to his sanctifying process. And loved ones, I found out that being fully submitted is sort of like being an orange. You say, okay, let's see where he's going with this. I, I went to college uh, in the days when Southeastern, it's now Southeastern University. In those days, it was Southeastern Bible College. And it was surrounded by orange groves on, on almost all sides. You, you could go just about anywhere on campus. And if you had a good arm, you could, you could throw a rock into an orange grove. It, I mean, it was surrounded by orange groves. And one of the greatest things, I th I, you know, I just thought it was the Lord until I found out it was the fragrance of orange blossoms. That's one of the greatest fragrances on planet earth. And when um, the school year was beginning, uh, well, let, me, let me put it to you this way. When the school year was ending, those, that fragrance filled the air and then you would come back and start the school year and those trees would be full of oranges and um, I was so excited about being able to just walk in an orange grove, pick, a, you know, pick an orange and enjoy it. But I got there and found out that in, in August, those oranges are, are green. They're not orange. They're green. And I remember saying in class one day, somebody was talking about being surrounded by oranges. And, and I, said, uh, I said, yeah, I, I knew they were from the north. They didn't know anything about orange trees. And so I explained to this person who I would find out was far smarter than I was. I said, yeah, the oranges are, are bad right now. They're, they're, they're bad right now. They're green. And this person is the kind of person that would not walk across campus without investigating the history of the campus, finding out which steps they should take. You know, I mean, just very intellectual. And she said, well, technically the oranges aren't bad. I said, have you tasted one? She said, no. She said, what kind of idiot would taste a green orange? <laughs> she said, in fact, the oranges are perfect. And I thought she's never had an orange. But what she was saying is that the orange was perfect for August. And 
I began to understand now it's going to taste a lot better in a few months. It's going to be a lot more edible and enjoyable with just a little passing of time. But you don't write off the green oranges as failures. What's happened is that orange is submitted to a process that they're moving from blossom to a budding fruit to a green fruit to an orange fruit. And can I tell you, that's what it means to be fully devoted to the Lord. It doesn't mean that part of your life matters and part doesn't. It doesn't mean that, well, I need to stay away from mortal sins, but these other sins are okay. No, it means that we are in process. Spirit, soul, and body, we are being transformed. Some of it is instantaneous. When we come to Jesus, we pass from death into, uh, unto life. We are born again. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, we have become a new creation in Christ. And that was instantaneous. The moment Jesus becomes the Lord of our life, it's instantaneous, but it's a process. Now the day is coming, whether we are alive when the Lord returns or whether we go by way of the grave, the day is coming when I will be made perfect, totally, even this body will be a recipient of resurrection and per perfection. But that's where I'm going. And I'm not going to get to a perfect body. I'm not going to get to my eternal body until I get on the other side. But there is a wonderful process going on. <coughs> Thank you, brother. There's a wonderful process going on in, in my soul. And right now, I, I, was, I was made eternally saved when I asked Jesus to do that, save me. I will be changed beyond sin one day when either the Lord returns or I go to heaven. But right now, I am being transformed. We've talked about this, and I don't mean to repeat basics over and over again. But the New Testament teaches salvation as a past tense. You were saved. It, it was based not only on an act of Jesus, but it was based on an act of repentance and an act of faith. The grace of, Lord, of the Lord was extended to me. I turned to him through faith. And at that moment, I am born again. And no one plucks me out of father's hands. I am going to heaven. I am a new creature, uh, creation. I'm never more ready for heaven than at that moment I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I was saved. Now, you read other verses I will be saved. And you think, well, I mean, maybe that means it's up for grabs, you know. Um, maybe I will, maybe I won't. You know, we just won't know till we get there. No, no, no. When the Bible says that we shall be saved, it's not to cast aspersions on what has already happened to us. But it's telling us that there is a culmination. There is a uh, perfection. There is a fulfillment of the work God is doing. And it's going to be in the future when we enter the other side. So I was saved in the past from the penalty of sin. The day is coming when I will be saved from the possibility and the presence of sin. But where we are right now is in those verses of scripture that tell us that we are being saved. There's a process going on. And the, the work of God in the past saves me from the penalty of sin. I'm not going to hell. The work of God that will complete in the future tells me that I'm going to reach a place where I am beyond the possibility of sin, beyond the presence of sin. But right now, I am living victory over the power of sin. I still have the ability to sin. But, I, but sin has no power over me. I, it, it's only as I concede myself to that power that I do wrong. So God is doing this phenomenal force and I, in our lives. And loved ones, what I want to impress upon you as we go into the days ahead, I want you to stop focusing on what you used to be. And I want you to stop lamenting that you're not what you're going to be. But we celebrate what God is doing in our lives right now, 
We learn to sing that song every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. We learn that uh, just as when your children are born. I, I, I'm looking here at, at um, Roy and Pat. When every one of their children were born, they did not look like they were going to look. I mean, there were hints. Maybe the eyes, maybe the nose. You know, Roy, maybe they were bald. I don't know. But there was no doubt that that child was a shirk. No doubt whatsoever. And the only thing that needed to happen is for them to grow up into their destiny. Just grow up into their destiny. Now, that's the way it is with a child of God. We need to stop thinking, well, I, I'm ashamed of what I used to be. You know, so why am I not perfect yet? Well, I've just explained that to you. And we need to understand that we live a life right now fully committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Fully surrendered. You say, well, I'm not winning all the battles. That's okay. Full surrender is not winning every battle. Full surrender is living under his lordship and letting him develop that victory in you. Now, this series is three parts. And um, the first part today is hold on to these things. Now, we're not talking about every dynamic of the Christian life. But there are a half dozen verses that uh, I want to talk about. Rick Warren did a great sermon called Make Every Effort, and it was based on, on some of these verses. I'm, I'm not preaching his sermon, but he's the one that got me thinking about this. Um, there are a half dozen passages where in some translations, Paul says, endeavor to do this, or others say, be diligent or be eager to do this. But some translations, NIV, New Living Translation and others, translate it this way, make every effort. So as I read through the New Testament and I see a half dozen times that the men of God that wrote the New Testament say six times, make every effort to do this. I need to take that very seriously. They're not saying, well, if this is your calling, do this. They're not saying if you've been saved long enough, do this. He says to every man, woman, boy, and girl that is named the name of Jesus, make every effort to do these things. So these are six things that we want to hold on to. Next week, we'll talk about uh, some things to let go of. Okay, today we're holding on. Next week, we'll let go. And then in the final part three, we will talk about attitudes, uh, foundational attitudes, five of them that we are to live up to. And I believe with all the commands, with all of the Christian graces and virtues, I believe everything in the New Testament can be placed in and summarized by the three thoughts that there are some things I let I hold on to. There are some things I let go of, and there are some things that I live up to. So that's where we want to go over the next three, three uh, weeks. Now, I've got to say this. I'll try not to say it again. I just want to remind you, even though we're, we're talking about works on occasion and the way we live, we need to understand that the place of works is for us to give gratitude to the Lord for his salvation, which is by, by grace. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Works serve a purpose. I believe the more works we do and the, and the better we do our works, the more fulfillment we have in our service to the Lord. But it doesn't get us to heaven. I believe also that our works are really the basis of our reward. When we go to heaven, I know that we are admitted to heaven because of the work of Jesus Christ, no other reason. But I do believe that our works will determine the type of reward we receive there. So with that in mind, let's look quickly at six things worth extra effort and uh, that's why we don't have a text at the beginning. Each of these points has a text. We find out that the first thing worth extra effort is to, is to hold on and holding on to is to hold on to holiness. Hold on to holiness. 
I grew up in a very narrow view of holiness. We used to joke that uh, everything that was fun was either illegal, immoral, or fattening. Um, the Washington senators, they were the Washington senators back then, um, and later moved to Minnesota, became the twins. And it's, it's a long story, but this was the old Washington senators. Boy, that was a Freudian slip, Washington senators. That's what uh, some people in the church called them. The Washington senators had a minor league franchise one block from our church. One block. And baseball was my world. Can you imagine the, the mind games I had going to church on Sunday night and having a minor league, best before air conditioning, we didn't have air conditioning, the windows are up, and having the sounds of a minor league baseball game going on one block away. I mean, I, I, I could tell when the cheers really went up, that was for Cal Ripken, not Junior, not the ones you know, but Cal Ripken Sr. played there. Lou Burdett past, pastored there, pitched there. And, and I just, I thought, I, I thought that maybe I was on the, the outer ring of hell having to be in church instead of being at that baseball game. Now, thank, thankfully, my, my regard to that changed. And, and as I fell in love with the Lord, I, I, I began to understand the first step was, well, we do these things because we love Jesus. Even though some things I found out Jesus wasn't requiring, it was, a, it was from a heart of love. It was a, we love Jesus, so we're willing to let some things go. And we grew up in that. And then we went through a phase where we began to make fun of that a little bit. But I tell you what most of us have done. We've come back to an appreciation for our upbringing. We've come back understanding that uh, anything that brings us to Jesus, it might be extreme. It might be a little over the edge, but praise God, it brought us to Jesus. And I no longer make fun of things that brought me to Jesus. We might've been extreme, but it brought me to Jesus. So I think we need to be careful that in our freedom, we don't become flippant. And I think in our freedom, we don't become nasty because I'll tell you this, if I had a choice of raising my children in that conservative environment that might've been a little extreme, I'd rather raise them in that environment than in an environment that says anything goes. Grace covers it all. So he says, hold to holiness. He says, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. Now he was not giving us a formula for prophecy. Uh, he was not saying, well, when you figure prophecy, a day is a thousand years or a thousand years is a day. What Peter was saying, he says, you're all concerned because the return of the Lord hasn't happened yet. And he said, you've got to understand that time that we're so worried about has no hold on the Lord. His perspective is different. He said, the Lord, you think the Lord is really being slow about his promise. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. He says, you think it's just never going to come. He says, but when it comes, it'll be like an unexpected thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be uh, found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away with flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth as he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. So what do we do about that? And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort. There's the first one. Make every effort to be, founding, to be found living peace lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. He said, when you're living in a world that you think is falling apart, make every effort to live peaceful and pure lives. Now, 
I think um, the thing that I want to say in, in regard to this is this idea of holiness. Um, I know that holiness can, is like a hammer teaching about holiness. It can be used as a hammer to build something up or it can be used as a hammer to give someone a deathly blow to the head. Holiness must be determined by the Lord. And even in the earliest days of the church, there was a big fight that broke out over food offered to idols. And Paul would tell the followers of Jesus, the kingdom of God is not about meat and drink. It's not about these things you are divided over, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He said, if you want to know what real holiness is, it's not a set of rules that are imposed by men. He says, it's the righteousness that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the peace that the Holy Spirit gives as we live our lives, and it's the resulting joy Loved ones, God says our lives ought to be full of joy because we've understood what true righteousness is and God has given us peace as we live this out. We've all known people. I, I, I grew up and I, I think of, and everybody I'm thinking of, or, you know, they're kind of distant relatives. They've gone home to be with the Lord. So I don't, I don't mind saying this. I, I wouldn't say it for a long time because I didn't want to disrespect them. But they knew the Bible and they believed in holiness, but there was not a thing about their lives that made me want to follow the Lord. You know, their, their whole testimony was, don't you want to become a Christian so you can be as miserable as I am? You know, uh, I, I, I had an aunt that had been through a couple of marriages. And I, as I heard the story, I thought, you know, this might be your fault. And when somebody challenged her about it, she said, well, the way of holiness might even cost you a husband, but you got to do it. And I, th I, 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 as a, as a junior high kid, I knew that was not right. I knew that was not right. I knew that the holiness that God gives doesn't cost you your family. Oh, I know there are extreme situations where that might happen once in a blue moon, but you know, it, it is a result of persecution, but loved ones, God says, holiness re results in peace. You're no longer struggling over this and you have a joy in the Holy ghost. And you know, righteousness takes on two forms. Number one, there is positional righteousness. Um, when I become a Christian, I become uh, clothed with the robe of righteousness that belonged to Christ. We used to sing it in children's church. I didn't understand it for a long time, but I'm so glad when it dawned on me, you know, I tell you the best thing I ever did do. I tell you, the reason we love this song is we got to rip off our coat. I tell you the best thing I ever did do was to take off the old robe and put on the new. The old robe was dirty, so tattered and torn, but the new robe was spotless, had never been worn. I'll tell you the best thing I ever did do was to take off the old robe and put on the new and to, to be true to the song, we pick somebody else's coat on and put it, you know, pick it up off the ground and put it on. What that teaching was based on is the fact that God no longer looks at us in our own righteousness. He looks at us through the righteous life of Christ. You know what God says about my best efforts? God doesn't say this about my sin. He says this about my best efforts. He said, my righteousness is as a filthy rag. My righteousness is as a filthy rag. And I don't mean to be crude or vulgar, but that the, one of the uses of the rag that was described um, in that Hebrew word, it was uh, discarded cloths that were used during a woman's menstrual cycle. 
It was used of, uh, it was burial cloths. It was used of bloody cloths that had treated wounds. Nobody would want to wear a coat made out of that. But that's what our best was. That's what our best was. Not my sin. I can't even imagine what my sin would be like. But Jesus takes our self-righteousness. Jesus takes our best effort and lays it to the side and gives us his robe of righteousness. Now that's what we call positional. I am righteous in Christ. But there's another type of righteousness that's called practical in theological terms. And that doesn't mean like the other ones, impractical. Practical means it's something that you do. Uh, you know, in, in Bible college, you took classes, you took, uh, you took biblical theology. That was the study of a book of the Bible. You took systematic theology. That was a study of the groups of doctrine. But you also took practical theology, how to be a missionary, how to teach children's church, how to preach a sermon. It was things that you did. And we have a practical righteousness that we live out. Paul said, number one, understand that there are six things worth extra effort. The first thing is hold on to holiness. Know that you are holy in Jesus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his great grace and mercy, hath he saved us. But then those of us who look forward to his appearing, John would say in his epistles, he says, we make up in our minds that we're going to live as he lived. We're going to walk in righteousness as he lived. Now, you know what we're going to do today? I'm going to do something I haven't done since we've started live streaming. And that is I'm going to stop in the middle of a sermon. Um, I think in the, in the, in the ether waves, I think I'm hearing applauding and cheering. I'm not sure. But um, I realize I can't, the Lord's just putting so many things on my heart. I can't get through it today in the time allotted. So I'm going to do one more thing and then we're going to stop and we'll pick this up next week um, about the things we ought to hold on to. So number one, we hold on to holiness. Number one, knowing that we are righteous. I am righteous because Jesus Put his robe of righteousness on me. And I am righteous because he has done that. That gives me the ability to live rightly. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. You remember when I come to Jesus, I'm freed from the penalty of sin. I don't worry about hell. I mean, I don't worry about being lost. Not because I'm arrogant, but because I have passed from death into life. I was saved immediately in the spiritual realm. I'm going to be saved ultimately in the physical realm, but there is that battle going on right now to live out righteousness. And I want to do that. Now, there's, there's five other things, but I'm only going to touch one more. I hold on to not only holiness, but I hold on to forgiveness. Hebrews 12, 15 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men. You know, it's far easier to write people off. It's far easier. I, I got to tell you the truth. When I, I don't even watch the news much anymore, but I have a list. I have a list. When they start to speak on the news, I hit the mute button. I don't want to hear anything they have to say because I'm going to need medication. <laughs> and I want to tell you, loved ones, it's far easier to hit the mute button than to live at peace with all men. But the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you remember, you, you, you remember how Peter tells you to make every effort to live a holy and blameless life? He said, I want to add to that list. Make every effort to be at peace with all men. Because if you don't, it's possible for you to miss the grace of God and to allow a bitter root to grow up causing trouble and defilement. See, you don't, you don't go to hell over unforgiveness. Now we're taught that by a lot of people because in the Lord's prayer, you know, Jesus said, if you don't forgive those that have offended you, your heavenly father won't forgive you your sins. But again, 
we don't build doctrine on a verse. We build doctrine on all the verses and we have to take them and understand the context and then form a synthesis of what is the Bible teaching. I don't believe the Bible teaches that if you have trouble forgiving someone, you are going to be unforgiven and go to hell. That is one of the most unfortunate, unscriptural teachings that show up in good Bible believing churches because then Salvation becomes a matter of works. If I can measure up to this, I can be forgiven. No, but I tell you what does happen. Salvation is the idea of the process of return to wholeness. God is turning us back to wholeness. That involves the forgiveness of sins. It involves the healing of our hurts. It involves all of these things. And I believe with all of my heart, if I had, if I had 45 minutes, we could talk about this. Maybe we need to in a few weeks. But whenever God says, if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. Um, when you look at it and all the verses together, I think it's very clear what Jesus is saying is the process of you being restored gets halted. If you decide you want this, but you're going to live like this, that doesn't work. It's like trying to drive an old Volkswagen Beetle tire on the side of a, you know, big Ford pickup truck. It, it doesn't go together. You can't drive a straight line. And I believe with all of my heart, when we refuse to, to forgive, it hinders the work of God in our lives. That's why it was so important that Jesus taught if you are coming to worship and you realize that you've done um, someone wrong, leave your sacrifice. It's not that I don't want your sacrifice, but leave your sacrifice. Go make that right. He said, if you find out that someone, uh, if you're in disagreement with your brother, he says, approach that brother you, and say, you know, you've done me wrong. If the brother hears you, you've gained your brother. If that doesn't work, get, get a witness, go back and say, we've got to work through this. And then he said, after the, there's a, there's a third level where you just say, this is, this is irreconcilable. I can't fix it, but I've done everything in my power. And we forgive, as I said last week, on the basis of Christ's forgiveness of us. I, uh, I'm going to close with this. We'll get the rest of them next week. Holiness is important. Forgiveness is important. As I get older, I've got to confess to you. As I get older, things from earlier in my life sometimes bother me more. You say, uh, well, pastor, you ought to be getting over it by now. Well, I know. And the tricky thing is I thought I was. It wasn't in my, on my radar. It wasn't on my horizon. And every once in a while, something will come up and I'll say, ah, this is, this is from a hundred years ago. I mean, this was, this was back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, you know, and, and, but it happens from time to time. And I remember one time saying, Lord, why? Because it would come up in prayer time. I said, Lord, why are you allowing this to come up? And he said, there's two reasons. I really felt the Lord said this. There's two reasons. Number one, you asked me to. I don't remember the Lord bringing. I, was there ever a day in my life when I said, Lord, I'd like for you to bring up crap. I, <laughs> forgive me. That's theological cussing. I know, but. And, and I don't mean crazy. That's Christian responses and poor attitudes. That's what it stands for. <laughs> He said, you asked me to do this. And, and, and I, I honestly, I said, Lord, I don't understand. He said, you told me that you wanted me to bring up weak spots in your life so that you can deal with them on this side of the judgment seat of Christ instead of on that side. You said you wanted me to help you deal with them now so your reward can be greater. I remember saying that, but I, I didn't specify that it should be done this way. And can I tell you the second thing I felt the spirit of God speaking to my, my heart? He said, as you get older and there are challenges, I want you to be clear spirited as you deal with life. I don't want you. I, I, I went to a retirement home for Assemblies of God ministers one time. 
I was hurt, not hurt, like nobody hurt me, but I was just devastated. I, I, uh, I, I went in to see one of my spiritual heroes who was a patient there. Uh, I'd never met him. He had been general superintendent in the Assemblies of God for like 20 years. I wanted to meet this man. I knew he was in the retirement home. And I went in um, wanting to find out about him. A friend of mine worked there, and I started talking with my friend out in the, the foyer. And my friend said, it's unbelievable. He says, these are men and women of God that love Jesus with all of their heart. But he said, they are so angry and the language they use is unthinkable. And I said, well, I know they're not hypocrites. This, this must just be they're losing their cognitive process. I, we can't hold them responsible for that. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, my esteem for them hasn't gone down. He said, I've got to admit it was shaken to start with. I said, what, what do you think is really at the heart of this? And this, my friend was not a physician not a psychiatrist, but it made sense to me. He said, what I find, he said, and I work with all of these people closely. And um, he said, what I think is that there is unresolved anger and hurt that they never let the Lord settle in their hearts. And now it, 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 he said, I, I, I know they are treasures in God's eyes, but they just haven't processed this. And now as, as their mind begins to go, it just rises. And, and it's, he says, it just makes for a jumbled mess. He said, I know they want nothing more than to honor Christ because he says they'll go through that and then they'll have the most beautiful time of prayer and waiting upon the Lord. He said, I tell you, he, he, he said, put, put his hand on my shoulder. He's a couple of years older than me. He said, Steve, I tell you what I've learned. I want to get rid of all of my unforgiveness while my mind is clear so it doesn't poison my spirit. Now, I don't know if that was truly what was happening, but it so rattled me. I never went back into the unit where my hero was. I was so afraid of what I would find. I found out later from friends that he was never like that. He was, he was honoring Christ and everything that he did right up to his last days. And one of my real regrets is that I didn't go back and see him and, and just ask him to pray for me and bless me. I, I felt like I really missed it. But loved ones, I want to tell you what I, what I do believe is this. It's worth every effort to stand holy in him and righteous in him, it's worth every effort to let go of that pain, let go of that hurt. You say, if I don't forgive, God won't forgive me. You are already forgiven. Your sins are already forgiven, but the process of being made whole can get clogged. And while God wants to bring you here, you may never get there because you can't get past these offenses. This is what I want to leave with you today. Just let go of what others have done. Make every effort to say, I forgive. And you say, I, I'm, I'm trying, but I don't know how, how heartfelt it is. It's okay. It's okay to forgive by layers if you have to. Just be in process of letting go. The other thing I want to leave you with is it really does make a difference how you live makes a difference what you put on Facebook. Makes a difference the way you talk to your spouse. Makes a difference the way you treat your parents, the way you treat your children. And we need to make every effort to walk in holiness and purity. We know we're not gonna be perfect. We know we're not gonna be perfect. Except as that terrible tasting green orange was perfect. It was right where it was supposed to be because God Almighty knew what it was becoming. And that's why he didn't get upset with the oranges being green. He knew they just needed time. And loved ones, I believe in you. I believe that all any of us need is just time in the process of the Holy Spirit. 
I want to pray with you. Now our, our, time's, our time's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I got 32 seconds. But I'm going to go over anyway. Okay. Um, if there's anything between you and the Lord in your lifestyle, whether it's here in Brown Chapel or sitting in your living room, if there's anything between you and the Lord, let's take step one, okay? I am going to make every effort to walk in purity and holiness, okay? And he has given me the posture of righteousness so that I am forgiven and I am, I am enabled to become what he wants me to be. That's what grace is. Grace is God's good will toward us, whoever will may come. God loved us while we were yet sinners. But grace is also God's work in us. God has put in you, your spiritual DNA, the ability to do and be everything God's spirit wants you to do and be. It's there. Just got to make every effort to walk in it. Number two, let go. Let go of things that weigh you down. You say, well, they shouldn't have done it. I know. I know. I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not minimizing the hurt. I'm not minimizing the wrong. I, I, you know, every time somebody says, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. I think about what about that young girl that was raped by a family member? What about the person that went through this or that or the other? No, 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 no. We, we, we can list a whole page full of things that we don't have the ability to forgive in the flesh. But God says, make every effort to do what you know to do. And I'll take you the rest of the way. That's the way grace works. Father, we're, we're out of time. We need to go. I ask you to bless today. Um, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to, to you. I'm sorry I didn't get through the message. But again, Lord willing, we'll finish it next week. Lord, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would cover us with the grace of God. We're going to end this live stream. But I pray that as we end the live stream, both in these two auditoriums here on campus and everybody that's watching, wherever they are, turn these places into the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, into the house of God, and let us give to you the hurts we can't handle. Let us pledge to you to live the life by your spirit we're not able to live on our own. Make every effort to walk in holiness. Make every effort to walk in forgiveness. We ask you to do it and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you somewhere. I hope to see you next Sunday. God bless. Thank you for joining us in worship today. I hope you will be with us for our online service next week to encounter his presence. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Christian Life Church, please visit our website at clcolumbia.com or call us at 803-798-4488. The Lord bless you and keep you and have a great week.